This is Radio 4, where now Steve Punt continues his assignment as our very own gumshoe. Tonight, Steve's called to Nottinghamshire to investigate a mysterious case of collapsing children. It's another case for Punt P.I. This is Punt's private eye. I'm not here right now. Please leave a message. Punt, Tracy here. I have a little mystery for you to poke your nose into, called the Hollinwell Incident, July 1980. They said it could be a band bug. Went down like flies, apparently. Find out what you can, and Punt, if you go there, maybe take your own picnic. What was Tracy on about? Band bug? Some kind of illegal insect? What happened in the summer of 1980? Rewinding the C60 cassette of my memory, it was a mixtape of Strikes, Sieges, Ovette vs Co and Space Invaders. For a high score on this one, I would have to channel Juliet Bravo or Shoestring, or maybe this was a job for the professionals, although that would rule me out. I would have to become Magnum P.I. Glue on the moustache and fearlessly blow the dust off the newspaper cuttings. Okay, so this is the Sunday Times, 20th of July 1980. Investigations are still going on into the epidemic of illness at a Nottinghamshire festival last Sunday. The Chad, which is a local paper. Like a battlefield with bodies everywhere. The evening post. Some kids were catching their friends as they fell and then falling down themselves. No one could understand. She collapsed and vomited. A demand for an inquiry into a mysterious ailment. An ice cream seller was mobbed by angry parents. Jazz band illness remains a mystery. It's a mystery. Oh, it's a mystery. It is, as Toya rightfully observes, a mystery. Not so much a who done it as a what done it. Hundreds of children inexplicably collapsing at a junior jazz band festival. Uh, the Ashford Imperials, the Shirebrook. Rangers. Some of the bands are mentioned in the press reports. Like the sound of the Glapwell Serenaders. And using my trusty ZX Spectrum and that futuristic modem I saw on Tomorrow's World, I find clips of some of them on YouTube. Whatever that is. Doesn't sound like jazz. I riffed with Garfield Bishop, who first got the jazz band bug 80 years ago, and asked him why they're playing kazoos rather than saxophones. The word jazz was taken from the word jazzy, jazzy being the type of clothes they used to wear. So you had various bands then, you had comic bands, tableau bands. Military bands, accordion bands. So the jazz bands were the, the most colourful? Yes, wore the most colourful uniforms. Right. What's the hallmark of a really good band? Correct arm swings, lifting of the feet, that they stay in correct formation, particularly in the march. But marching in uniforms on a summer's day, is it usual for people to collapse and faint? We get that occasionally. How many do you mean? We had an instance last week where a, a marimba player went. It was two weeks before that that we had another one going. It happened to be the same person. 
looking at a, an incident that happened in Hollinwell in Nottinghamshire. Were you at that uh, no, festival? No, we was in South Wales. Do you know of anybody who was there that I might be able to talk to? Julie Vaughan was actually at the event. Incidentally, she's a judge now up in the Midlands as well. One or two may faint at competitions, but this case was over 400 people taken to hospital. Where should I start? What would Magnum P.I. do? He'd cruise around Hawaii in a helicopter, so that wasn't much use. I, on the other hand, have a train ticket to Nottingham and a lead to my first eyewitness. Excitingly, I also have a hire car, perhaps one that fits the theme. Magnum's red Ferrari 308 GTS, the professional's three-litre Capri, the Sweeney's Ford Granada. It turns out to be Radio 4's Vauxhall Corsa, complete with a piece of technology that in the 80s only Marty McFly could have dreamed of. I can't remember what radio documentaries did before Satnav. People must have just recorded the sound of people looking at maps. Someone came along and said, we've invented a thing that provides a continuous running commentary. What? But even the resources of 21st century technology are having trouble finding Hollinwell. Right, turn right, then turn left. No, right. I pass a sign for Sherwood Forest. I picture sylvan glades of mythical heroes. But suddenly I'm sent down a track to a cowpat studded field where I meet two stalwarts of the Clay Cross Zingaris. Hello, sorry, so which one's Sandra? Band leader Judith and her secretary, Sandra. So you are Judith? That's right. Hi there. Just looking at this field, can you point out to me where everything was going on on, on, on the morning in question? The bands would have been lined up over to your right and they would have been waiting to be judged for dress. And then the tents and everything went round the arena and then you'd got the vans with the ice cream, hot dogs and things like that all around the edges. So what did you first notice that was odd? I think the first thing that we saw, actually, we were sat around the arena and we saw some children go down and then a few more children and then it happened that even the people that were watching were starting to go down. On an ordinary Sunday morning, an English summer meadow was soon covered in dozens of unconscious bodies. We were just sat there absolutely shocked, weren't we? We didn't know quite what was happening or what to do. We've been going for 21 years and we've never seen nothing, nothing like that since, have we? The um, people that had collapsed, they was all laid out on blankets. Was everybody fainting or were some people just feeling ill? got stings in the eyes and the nose, the throat was sore, coughing and feeling sick. Right. That was the symptoms. OK. They got a lot in the ambulances and shot them off to Queen's Med, I think it were. And we had to stop halfway home yes. and, and take some. But most of ours was more affected the evening and the following day. What was being said at the time as it was happening? It came across on the tannoy, don't drink the water, don't eat the ice cream, don't panic, which I don't think they were. So the first thought seems to have been it was something they were eating? I think the grown-ups thought that. The yes. so-called people that was round the arena probably thought that. Another one gone and another one gone. And with the tannoy telling people not to eat the ice cream, 
the Ice Cream Man soon gone as well. Had the bands fallen victim to a bug in the Cornettos? I wanted to track down any of the victims. In 1980. And that included the fleeing Ice Cream Man, who, according to the press cuttings, had been pursued by angry parents. Nycra, National Ice Cream Retail. Perhaps I could talk to him. Do you keep records of ice cream men? Lolly could change hands. Is that Mini Melts UK? I could be onto a scoop. Do you have records of, of where you have sold ice creams over the years? Is that Sam's Ices? Yes, you can help me. Uh, at least I think you can. I'm... Uh, well, I want to speak to Mr Whippy. I didn't get through. They probably thought I was a flake. But this just makes me more determined. Eschewing a chance for R&R, I head instead for A&E. At Chelsea and Westminster Hospital, I have an appointment with an expert witness to get a more scientific view. Now, I need to get Charles' title right. He's the paediatric lead. Charles Stewart appears dressed in Lincoln Green. Hello, hi there. And I ask him if this sounded like an incident of mass food poisoning. Normally, you'd have the typical symptoms of vomiting, diarrhoea, sometimes chills, and depending on the level of dehydration, fatigue and leg cramps due to salt losses. And the other thing is people fainting. Is, is that normal with food poisoning? If those symptoms are extreme and it causes a, a significant impact on your hydration, your cardiovascular dynamism, then you can collapse. But it's usually following significant symptoms. Sounds like the food poisoning theory is flatlining. In children, we learn, never to say never, but in hundreds of cases, you would find diarrhea and vomiting in, in, in the majority, and you would find microbiological evidence of the infecting or contaminating substance. So food poisoning had been a red herring, and an undercooked one at that. But a new lead appears, as I hear from Sue Rook, who responds to my call for witnesses. In 1980, she was a 13-year-old jazz bander. I remember there was a band performing in the field and there was a haze around and it's sometimes, you know, the sort of haze you get when it's very, very warm and we don't have temperatures that warm that, well, especially we didn't in Nottingham that often, that you'd see a heat haze, really. Mm. People were just collapsing all over the place and it wasn't just children, it was adults as well and some big burly miners that were fainting, really. So it was really, really strange. And what happened to you? I remember having an incredibly sore throat and it felt like my throat was closing up and then I just felt really, really faint. And it's odd because that's the only time in my life that I've ever fainted. And who took you to the hospital? It was ambulances came and took us to the QMC. Right. And there, I remember we had blood tests or whatever and we I remember being on a trolley and after a couple of hours they said oh you're free to go and that was it really they took some blood tests but they you never got the results is that right no no it was really strange we never had any answers questions questions they gave sue no answers to cut a long story short it was time to find some. If you know the extension number you require, please... Oh, hello, is that the Queen's Medical Centre? I tried to locate any of the doctors there on that July afternoon. Might have been on duty... Or anyone at the Nottinghamshire hospitals who treated the victims. On Sunday the 13th... But they politely decline. OK. No one wants to talk. Turn right. 
except the sat-nav lady. Oh, I think I'm in the wrong lane again. And even she's not helping. I'm going to get hooted now. I think I've inadvertently left the road. I'm back in the Corsa because the first paramedic to arrive at the scene that day has got in touch. So I'm hoping the haze that surrounds Hollinwell oh. might start to Hello. clear a little. Hi, Steve. Yes. Steve Mitchell is now a first aid trainer. And I arrive to find him stowing resuscitation equipment in his car. Right, it's called a defibrillator. What's more disconcerting, however, is that this equipment includes lifelike dummies that he uses for demonstrations. That's a child-sized one. And I went to a school in Matlock, and look, the teacher seen this face, and they said, that's Martin. Oh, no. And uh, there was a picture in the gallery of all the students. Yeah. And I've got to say, that's Martin. With Martin zipped into a bag and stowed into the boot, we out. went inside for a nice cuppa. And Steve tells me what he witnessed at Hollingwell. The things that stand out to me was there was lots of children having lots of distress, severe breathing difficulties, runny eyes to the extent... It's like having, watching someone having a very severe asthmatic attack and a very serious case of A fever. There was something that they were definitely reacting to and the only thing I could have suggested at that moment in time was that it was a chemical reaction. I did at the time notice there was a smell in the air as well. Can you describe the smell? What sort of smell was no, it? No, I can't. Uh, I can't recall what type of smell it was. It's a long time ago. But I do distinctly remember there was a smell in the air. Yeah. Did you report that to anyone? Yeah, I put it over the radio. And due to the fact that I, I, said, I thought it was a chemical reaction, I thought we've got to move the event so that it doesn't continue to have any effect. So I got the coaches lined up and we shipped them out to Mansfield General. I followed them down. And did you go to the hospital? I did. Right. They found that they wasn't that seriously ill. They did say that there's not a great deal wrong with them, but then they wouldn't be if they moved out of the environment, would they? Was Steve's smell related to Sue's haze? If you see what I mean. Was it only music that was in the air that day? Or something else? Welcome to Ashfield District Council. I get a tip-off. There was an official environmental report soon after the incident. I'm looking for a copy of the report. For pest control issues, such as bed bugs, rats, it even has a catchy name. The title was Reports by Ashfield District Council of an Incident of Sickness Involving Persons Attending a Gala Event at Hollinwell. But it's missing. All right, no, thanks very much. It says an email arrived. It says, We have searched our catalogues, including the Ashfield District Council collection, and can find no reference to the report on the Hollinwell incident. So uh, not only can they not find the report, they can't find a reference to the report. Was this a cover-up? Was I being played like a kazoo? No, I parked that idea. Probably better than I did the Corsa. But the fact that the official report of the incident should be missing does seem hard to believe. But then, so is what I find next. The Daily Telegraph, it seems, reported at the time that police were investigating the possibility of UFO involvement. I make contact with Nick Pope, who ran the Ministry of Defence's UFO project, and via a close encounter of the Skype kind, I ask him, what on earth was going on? The Ministry of Defence had a UFO project and investigated sightings, and people used to report them either direct to the MOD, but also to military bases, to airports, and to police stations. Mm. Uh, so the police were often the first port of call for, for people. So we made sure that every police station had 
the UFO sighting report forms. Now, I think with the Hollinwell incident, I should say that it probably wasn't initially taken as a UFO sighting. I mean, no one actually saw a craft. That's the slightly odd thing about it. It's a UFO sighting where no one seems to have sighted a UFO. If I can use an analogy, this was like the X-Files. It was just so weird a situation, all these children suddenly collapsing, that the police obviously ran through all the sorts of conventional explanations. Mm. When they drew a blank with that, they, they really thought, well, what else could it be? And at that point, they started to almost think the unthinkable and think, well, maybe it's something really weird. Really weird. There were lots of Cold War rumblings in 1980, and also the release of the special edition of Close Encounters. Some people have attempted to draw parallels between the dates where big movies like Close Encounters of the Third Kind come out and spikes in UFO sightings. Now, whether these films make people suggestible and, and literally make them see UFOs, I, I doubt. What I think is happening is that it's raising awareness with the public about this, and it means that people that see something unusual are more likely to report it if it... Sorry, has it disappeared? No, no. No, 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 no sorry, no, there was I, a strange I, noise in my headphones. Uh, just as... Don't worry, I haven't been beamed up. One elusive object that has definitely been sighted turns out to be the report, which has been spotted in Kirby and Ashfield Library. By this time, Satnav Lady has turned into my mum. That's the fourth time she's told me that. She obviously thinks I've got the memory of a gnat. Right, uh, okay, well, it's very detailed here. Goes through various possible causes. I've been blindfolded and escorted to a top-secret underground bunker area and... Oh, all right, they took me upstairs to a nice comfy reading room. Someone put the kettle on and I pour over the report. We consider the theory that fans emitting low-frequency waves cause the sickness. A filled-in railway tunnel about half a mile distant has been opened up and poisonous wastes deposited nearby test there. bore of methane Possibility gases. of a spillage of toxic waste nearby. What are the chances of finding a field where this many things... Many other theories and suggestions were made by many people. I think that means we've been badgered by every weirdo for a hundred miles. But in amongst all these theories, there was something else. Pesticide sprays. There was some endosulfan, dildrin, 0.2 milligrams of malathion. Clinicians dealing with patients considered a proportion showed slight evidence of toxic inhalation or ingestion. Does this explain the smell and the haze? Was Tracy's band bug actually band bug sprays? The Forestry Commission have stated categorically to ourselves and the press that they have carried out no spraying in the area for at least 20 years. It seemed not. In fact, the report is remarkably insistent on this point. Inspectorate, there is no evidence of spraying in the immediate area, and in their opinion, the question of contamination by chemical additives in the form of fungicides or herbicides can be totally eliminated. The chemical theory dissolves. And after 63 exhaustive pages, I reach the report's conclusion. In Nottingham, the health authorities have at last come to a diagnosis of stress or mass hysteria. Mass hysteria. I thought that was the stuff of the Salem witch trials. Aztec sacrifices. Justin Bieber. How did this verdict go down? 
Dennis Skinner, one of several concerned local MPs, agrees to meet me in the lobby of the House of Commons and gives me his opinion of the report. They dismissed this incident as quickly as they could get it onto paper. Mm. I remain, as I was on the day, concerned about how it happened, and I don't believe it was ever properly investigated. Mm. But these were working-class kids, and I believe that they didn't look into it as meticulously as they would have done if it had been at a royal garden party. Well, he has a point, of course. If 400 of the Queen's guests collapsed at Buckingham Palace, the ice cream man would be in an orange jumpsuit before he could say Black Ops. Oh, hi. I'm looking for Simon Wesley. But I needed some intelligence of my own. Thank you. So I headed for the Department of Psychological Medicine at King's College London. It's that woman again. Doors opening. How does she get into every lift in Britain? She did, however, get me to the right floor to meet Simon Wesley, oh, hi, Simon. who tells me that outbreaks of mass hysteria are more common than you'd think. What you normally find, you find a group of people together for a purpose. They could be in a church, and in fact, marching bands are surprisingly overrepresented in the literature on these episodes. So they're usually young, and they're sometimes in, in conditions of rather stressful things. So heat is a classic one, waiting long periods of time, being stuck in a confined place. And then what happens is someone faints. So it's a completely normal faint. Now, two things can then happen. People can look and say, oh, look, so-and-so has fainted. Isn't it a hot day? Or they can look and say, so-and-so has fainted. What on earth is going on? And then as rumours start to spread, as happened in this episode, instead of people saying, no, but it's a hot day, they say, oh, maybe, you know, there is something wrong. Maybe there is a gas here or maybe we have got food poisoning or whatever. And they say things that make you anxious. And when you get anxious, you get symptoms. And the symptoms that you get... Your heart starts to race, you start to overbreathe, you start to have a dry mouth, you start to get stomach churning. And instead of saying, hang on a second, I think I'm getting a bit anxious here, you say, oh my God, I am being poisoned or whatever the rumour is. And before you know it, everyone's getting it and the episode has spread like a pandemic. This is sounding quite persuasive, especially if a man on the tannoy is shouting... Don't eat the ice cream. What we do know is there is absolutely nothing psychologically abnormal about the people who get involved in these episodes. This is the kind of thing that any of us, and indeed all of us, could do in certain circumstances. But can you tell the difference between mass hysteria and a genuine poisoning? First of all, these, these incidents are genuine, but they're not due to a toxic physical cause. One of the things is when the pattern of who's involved is very different. Now, in this particular episode, as in most of these, it was just the children who got sick. The parents didn't, the judges didn't, the people selling hot dogs and ice cream didn't. It was just the kids in the bands. Now, if you had a kind of toxic gas, that isn't what would happen. And you find in so many of these episodes, it's the kids in the class, but not the teachers. So the teachers watch and the kids are collapsing. Are there any exceptions to that? I'm sure there have been exceptions, but it's characteristic of that. And if you had an episode in which it was affecting both genders equally and all age groups, you would have a much higher index of suspicion that this was the wrong label. Simon is very convincing, but as I make my way back to the office, I remember that witnesses said they did see grown men and women go down as well as children. The official report says adults were seen at the hospital, and according to the numbers, over a hundred other people were seen, but their details not recorded. 
As I wonder whether mass hysteria was as clear-cut a conclusion as the report suggested, I receive another call. Hello? It's from someone who frustratingly won't go on tape and insists on staying anonymous. No good PI should set much store by unnamed sources, but for the record, the caller claimed that they remember the Forestry Commission woods regularly being closed off for spraying, and that 24 to 48 hours before the show, they saw not one but two planes spraying the forest behind the field. I can't substantiate this, so I have to treat it as nothing more than rumour. In fact, I order it stricken from the record. Instead, I decide to find out about the various substances that the report tells us were on the ground. I put in a call to toxicopathologist Vivian Howard. Dildrin and endosulfan are banned now. They've been phased out. Right. They have problems with persistence in the soil. They bioconcentrate up the food chain. So if you're at the top of the food chain, you get a much, much higher dose. Malathion, that's an organophosphorus compound. So it's like a nerve gas. You know, you've read about sarin, haven't you? Yeah. But it works in the same way. There's a spectrum of these chemicals, and, and the nerve gases have much, much higher acute toxicity. But nevertheless, the mechanism is exactly the same, and that's the one which I think could mimic the symptoms that have been described, so that's fainting and headaches, stiff limbs, sore eyes, things like that. Yes. But it's in knit shampoos. I thought I recognised it. Yes, I'd been right. wondering where I'd heard of it. Yeah. The head-scratching was over at last. The other factor is that we have this enzyme called PON, P-O-N. Yes. Paraoxonase. And that allows you to detoxify the OPs. And about 25 to 30% of the population don't have terribly high levels. So right. they're more susceptible. And about 1% have really low levels, just less than 1% and they would be rather more susceptible. Could lack of PON and a substance found in knit shampoo really be my solution at 0.2 milligrams per kilogram? That's pretty low. That's low. Yeah. The melathion exposure could mimic what has been described, but that would be at high dose, and I, I doubt that the residues on the ground will be adequate for that. So there may be one or two who might have been rather more sensitive, but on balance... I'm sure that the pesticides around and about in background levels couldn't have caused everybody to have those symptoms. But if people were being economical with the truth and they had been spraying, well, we'll never know, will we now, I suppose? On balance, the science backs up the official report. The quantities of pesticides, assuming they're correct, are nowhere near high enough to account for what happened that day. But mass hysteria doesn't quite fit either. It wasn't just the children. Maybe a few people without that pon could have triggered a hysterical reaction in the rest. But all in all, the Hollinwell incident is an 80s puzzle on a par with the Rubik's Cube. And what lines up is that the experts in the field are not trusted by the people who were in the field. As I type up my report for Tracy, I can't forget those collapsing burly miners. And finally ask Dennis Skinner whether he has any time for mass hysteria. No, because I worked in a coal mine, 800 yards below the ground. Sometimes when you went down on the cage, working-class men on a pit cage, it stops halfway on an electric cable, and suddenly, when it stops, it bounces up and down. And those miners talk about stiff upper lip. 
Don't believe it was invented at Sandhurst. It used to happen on that big case. None of us were emotive at all. Punt P.I. was produced by Sarah Bone. Tracy was played by Sean Murray.